The Old Testament reading today is from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Now hear the word. As I watched in night visions, I saw one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Thou shalt not pass away. And his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our preaching text for this morning comes to us from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles. Then afterward, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. He prayed and fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the tempter took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. But Jesus said to him again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. After the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor, he said to Jesus, all this I will give you if you fall down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, Away with you, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. It's the word of God for the people of God. Now we've already heard from her once this morning, but my favorite preacher and teacher, Barbara Brown Taylor, once said, There is more to prayer than the answer to prayer. There is also the prayer who is shaped by the praying. Most of us at some point or another throughout the course of our lives, we have engaged in prayer in some form or another. Maybe in church on Sunday mornings or before bed growing up or in the car when your loved one slams on the brake and you grab the bar above your head and yell something in Jesus' name. Now for most of us, when we are compelled to pray... It is most often in the hopes that God will do something for us. That God will give us something, answers maybe, or might help change a situation in our lives, make it better or different somehow. But if we stick with prayer long enough throughout our lives, we all come to learn that this is just very simply not what prayer does. At least not usually. So what does it do? 
It's perhaps the burning question that at some point all of us on our faith journeys ask, and we are exploring this question together during the season of Lent as we study a very particular prayer that we say each week in the worship service, the Lord's Prayer. Now, someone once said to me that when we learn to slow down and pay attention to what's going on beneath the surface of our lives and we speak to God about it, or when we recite words that have come from someone else's heart but that resonate somewhere deep within us, perhaps like the Lord's Prayer, they can begin to stick these words and these prayers sometimes in surprising ways. Some of us understand this well. When life hits us with everything it's got and the old anxieties begin to well up within us, in the middle of it, sometimes there's an old line, a familiar line from a prayer or a hymn that pops into our heads, maybe something a preacher said to us once, and it seems to hold us together until the waves of life die down and subside. Or maybe someone is giving a word of thanks as we bow our heads, gathered around a table of loved ones, and all of a sudden we're overwhelmed with gratitude for the most ordinary of things that just seem to pass us by most days. When we stop to hear and name what's going on in our hearts before God for long enough, though the circumstances of our lives don't always change, something about us starts to. We begin to see a little more clearly or feel a little more deeply. We respond to situations maybe in new and more life-giving ways. And for that reason, I wonder if maybe we need this practice of prayer now more than ever. I struggled this week to know what to say about the second line of the Lord's Prayer, Your Kingdom Come. I've been doing all kinds of research for weeks what this prayer means, what the word means, what we should say, what we shouldn't say. I, I researched it for weeks, and then when I went to write it, I put it off. I went for a walk. I cleaned my house. I got my nails done. I called my mom, and all the while... I wondered to myself, how in the world does one preach about the kingdom of God or where it might be found today when it just seems like we're so far from it? When Jesus comes out of the wilderness in our text for today, he seemed to think that the reign of God, a reign that prioritizes things like justice, and equity and compassion for everyone was not just in some far-off distant place in the future or some other heavenly realm. Jesus seemed to think that it was here, that it was here and now and quite in opposition to the reign of all the kingdoms in our world that prioritize other things like greed and power and control for a few. And so if it's here... I had to wonder, where? I struggled 
to come up with some tangible examples of where exactly the kingdom of God might be taking shape, where God's love and justice and mercy and equity might be reigning. What good is it to pray thy kingdom come when everything seems to be devolving at times into chaos? Mass hysteria about viral outbreaks. Fires and earthquakes and tornadoes that ravage our communities and our global neighbors. Rampant division, a political circus, escalating military tensions, racism and sexism and every other ism that remind us that we really don't know how not to tear each other down. The pain we carry around in our bodies, in our minds, in our homes, in our relationships, in our communities, people who can't feed their children, the list, it goes on and on and on, doesn't it? It seems like we're holding so much right now in the world, in our lives, maybe in our own hearts and minds that it is a struggle to see anything clearly or to feel deeply without letting our feelings flood out into panic attacks or last-ditch power grabs or overreactions or brawls with our neighbors. We might need this practice of prayer, even if it doesn't provide answers to all of our mounting problems, especially if it's going to change something inside of us, because I think we need a better way to live in the midst of situations that probably are going to be with us for a while. In our story for this morning, Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, During this time, he's probably not sure of when it's going to end, and he uses the time by fasting and praying. And during this time, he's tempted. He's tempted with power and wealth and status and affection and security and all the things we resort to first when we're looking for something to save us from whatever it seems is our own never-ending wilderness. And very often, when we tell this story, we tell it as though after these 40 days were up, after Jesus had won his hard-fought fight with the test of temptation, he comes out of the wilderness. Sometimes we tell this story as though the reason Jesus could confidently proclaim the kingdom of God as being here and now is because things became better that somehow God's reign became overwhelmingly evident. It was so much easier to see for Jesus. But I'm not really sure that's true. When Jesus emerged from the wilderness, his friend John the Baptist was arrested for preaching the reign of God by the powers of their day. He's killed later. Jesus' closest disciples doubt him and abandon him and betray him. His fellow religious leaders rebuke him. Everywhere he looks, there are thousands upon thousands of people who are sick and blind and poor and hungry. He receives death threats. He has to flee to different countries. And we all know the story that we are barreling toward throughout this season of Lent, Jesus dies. I'm not sure that it was any easier to see the reign of God truly take shape then than it is for us today, and yet Jesus seemed to believe it. 
Jesus moved out of one wilderness and into another almost his whole life long and all the while proclaiming that the kingdom was at hand, shouting it everywhere he went. How? He seemed to believe that the power and potential for God's reign was as possible as ever, even as his world was deep in struggle. And I have to wonder if it has to do at all with his commitment to prayer. With his commitment to slowing down and listening to his life and observing the world and connecting with God in the midst of crisis, if that had anything to do with it. I wonder if connecting with God, even while the waters of life raged, allowed him to see more clearly, to tap into a kind of wisdom that reminded him that the power of God doesn't wait to show up for things to get better, but it actually promises to enter into the mess and to be at work somewhere in the middle of the struggle. And I also wonder if it was in his wilderness prayers where he learned that if the kingdom was ever going to truly take shape, it wouldn't simply be because he prayed for some divine act of intervention that would save us from everything that's going wrong. It would instead come when people like Jesus and people like you and me pray for the strength to commit in the midst of our own wilderness experiences to collaborate with the power of God, to make the kingdom so, to learn to respond even in our difficulties, not in the ways we are most often taught to respond to chaos, by prioritizing our own self-preservation and our own desire for control or power, but in a way that commits to working for each other's good, to seeing each other, even those we struggle with the most, as being a part of the beloved family of God. I wonder if Jesus came to learn, maybe as he made space in his own heart and mind through prayer, that the potential for the kingdom of God to take shape, it is here. But we have to let it in. We have to learn to orient our own lives to work toward it, even when things feel hard. A friend of mine in the United Methodist Church, a colleague who lives in Asheville, North Carolina, was telling me about a ministry he started maybe 10 years ago or so after leaving seminary. He was getting ready to leave seminary, and he knew that he wanted to be a pastor, but he also felt deeply convicted that he wanted to live and work and learn among the poor, because these were the folks that Jesus committed most of his time and message of liberation to. And so as he was trying to figure out what to do, he spent a lot of time in prayer. And he also decided that he was going to visit a soup kitchen. He's going to pretend to be homeless and put himself in the shoes of a homeless person to go and experience what a soup kitchen is like and to learn a little about what it must feel like to be among the poor. He learned, you might guess, 
What an incredibly dehumanizing experience those things can so often be. And out of his observation grew an idea for a ministry, a congregation called the Hayward Street Welcome Table that would gather around tables multiple times a week. They would meet for meals, and they would serve the poor in body and spirit, and they would try to cultivate a space of more meaningful encounters with one another. When he told me about the early days of his ministry and how he spoke to people in those early days, he was surprised by how many people wanted to get involved. Restaurants who would supply the home-cooked and delicious food that they now serve regularly throughout the week. Businesses that donated linens and china and napkins and silverware and refrigerators and washers and dryers and centerpieces and fresh flowers and all sorts of things. Volunteers who would come out first by the tens and twenties and then so many that they now have a wait list for volunteering. And he talked to me about some of the amazing encounters that happened in that ministry there. The people whose lives were changed, not just the poor who might have met Jesus or who walked away with full bellies, but those who also served them. Because one of the rules at the welcome table was that everybody eats together. Some are not servers and some don't receive. Everybody both serves and receives in those relationships together because everyone has something they need and everyone has something to teach. And I couldn't help but think as he told me about this ministry, man, that is the kingdom of God right there. But I think the thing that was most meaningful to me about his telling, it was his honesty as he spoke about the difficulties of managing a ministry like the welcome table. Because for however many good things happened around those tables, it often feels chaotic there. There's no escaping it. The clients, they struggle. They're deep in need. And the struggles they have, it sometimes outweighs what the welcome table can provide. Some of them struggle with mental health, or drug and alcohol abuse, or gang violence, and that tends to make its way to the table, too. They fight with the city on a regular basis from wanting to buy their building and shut them down so that they can build luxury condos in a largely gentrifying area. They have grown beyond capacity, which sounds like a good thing, but it actually stretches them in ways that they have to continually wrestle with, maybe even beyond what my friend can personally manage for himself. But even still, if anywhere one might catch a glimpse of a living and reigning God whose values of love and justice and equity and compassion are possible and taking root against all the ones we're tempted to prioritize? It seems unmistakable that it's happening there. In the middle of all the difficulty and the chaos as they eat and faithfully gather to build community and pray. Something happened to Jesus in the wilderness as he prayed. He came to some sort of resolve 
within himself. He didn't exactly make peace with the chaos of life, but he did find a way through prayer to live in it. With a mind and heart a little clearer to see that the potential for the kingdom of God, it is present even in the chaos. And he made a commitment in that chaos to commit himself to the cause to use his own actions and his own choices and allow the power of God to work within him to change the people and the places that he encountered on a daily basis. When we make space in our lives to pray, and specifically when we pray the line of the Lord's Prayer, Your Kingdom Come, What we are asking is that God would help us to see more clearly. To see and believe that there is the potential for God's reign and love to become possible among us. It's potential, it shows up inside of us, it shows up around us, in the places that are ordinary, and maybe even in the places that feel too messy. And when we pray this line, your kingdom come, we are reminded that we have been given an invitation to join in. To use our actions and our lives to see that the kingdom of God, it does take shape. We pray for the courage and the strength and the wisdom as we leave one wilderness and enter another to use what we have. to make God's love known to the places and people that we encounter that need it the most. Let's pray together. Gracious and holy God, at times it is difficult maybe even borderline impossible to see where your love and justice and mercy reign in our lives and in this world. God, we do not encounter compassionate places of justice and equality and mercy and grace as often in our lives as we'd like. They, they don't even show up within us as often as we would like. But God, we do believe that you promised to be with us. We do believe the promises that you have passed down to your people throughout history, that your kingdom, far better and different than all the ones we could create. That it can be made known in our lives that your healing and your justice and your mercy and transformation can take shape, can make us different, can make our situations different, can make the world different if we believe it and if we commit ourselves to working toward it. So God, give us courage and strength and wisdom today in our praying, equip us for the task at hand. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ and God's people said together, Amen.
At this time, I would invite you to stand together as we join in our hymn of response, which can be found in the faith we sing hymnal on page 2193. 